I invite you to turn to John chapter 14. This morning, John chapter 14. We look at the uh, second half of this uh, chapter as we continue to hear uh, Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples on uh, really right as he is imminently about to uh, uh, face crucifixion and depart uh, his earthly ministry. If you're following along in the Blue Church Bible, you'll find this beginning on page 901. We saw last week in the first half of John chapter 14 uh, that this this section of the farewell discourse, uh, it begins uh, with a word of uh, of comfort. Uh, let, your, let not your hearts uh, be troubled. And then a command in order to, to bolster that comfort. Believe in God, believe also in me. There were four reasons why believing in God and in Christ is comforting. Uh, and now the fifth reason is provided here in the rest of this text here as Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Uh, and this reinforces uh, the main idea from last week as well, uh, that there is good reason uh, for us to place faith over fear, fear in this world, uh, fear of, uh, of the future and the things uh, to come. And here it is because uh, Christ has promised the Holy Spirit. Uh, to us. Give your attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, John chapter 14, verses 15 to the end of this chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. 
rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this word. We thank you for the continued encouragement of this farewell discourse uh, from our Lord. And we thank you uh, for the fulfillment, at least uh, the partial and ongoing fulfillment uh, of these uh, encouraging words of our Lord. And would we uh, rightly apply them uh, to ourselves this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hopefully we can all agree that words have some kind of power. A vicious insult can demolish somebody. On the flip side, however, an inspiring speech does have the potential to make an impact, and for the better, for that matter, on a room full of people. I think we can all agree that words have some measure of power. At least from my perspective and for the purposes of introducing this text this morning, the real question is what produces staying power with those words? How long can an inspiring speech energize a crowd towards positive action? Or negatively, how long can a vicious insult sting? I think the answer depends at least in part on just how long the picture uh, or the the speaker stays in the picture stays related to uh, you. The words of the bully who you see every day very well may have some staying power because you just can't get away uh, from the remembrance that person's always there. On the other hand, the words of that motivational speaker may not inspire for all that long as he soon jets off to the next location and seeks to inspire the next room full of people. As we consider here the continuation of Christ's farewell discourse this morning, we come really uh, to the heart of why this farewell discourse has staying power with the disciples uh, once Christ has departed. And I think the simple reason is that though Christ is leaving, he does not really leave. For the Father sends the Spirit, through whom then the Father and Son abide forever with the disciples. The staying power then of Christ's words in this farewell discourse is wrapped up in the reality that Christ's physical departure just leads to his abiding eternal spiritual presence. He is with us. And so this promise of another helper or an advocate or a comforter then is a critical piece of our Lord's exhortation to let faith triumph over troubled hearts. The promise is, as I mentioned last week, the fifth of five reasons why faith in God, faith in uh, Christ uh, can make a difference. Uh, over against troubled hearts. And what I want to do this morning then is work through our text here, this fifth uh, reason, and consider in in three parts uh, how our Lord uh, makes this uh, compelling case that the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, can calm hearts, troubled hearts. We'll consider the promise, the presence, and the power of the other comforter. 
And as we walk through our text, then I hope we'll see the main idea here that the Holy Spirit's presence casts out worldly fear. The Holy Spirit's presence casts out worldly fear. All that said, let's look at the first uh, idea, the first part here. It's the promise of another comforter. We see this uh, in the beginning part of our text this morning. Look at verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the Lord cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, as far as I'm concerned, there's an interesting balance here between Jesus' bold promise that whatever we ask in his name, which is what precedes this, just just before, the verses just before, uh, that whatever we ask in his name he will do. And then the very next idea here in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Perhaps this is to keep our requests of him grounded in the right perspective. Uh, If nothing else, returning to the ideas of love and commandments here, it focuses us on the big part uh, of our task as followers of Christ uh, to continue his ministry while he is physically absent uh, from this world. But as he continues on, this simple if-then statement, if we think about it for just a minute, is a tall order, isn't it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. For to love Christ is to follow him, and to follow him is to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. That is to say, to love Christ is to die. To die to yourself, to live for God. Or to say it another way, to be both a hearer and a doer every day of the words of Christ. Considered in in isolation from the person and work of Christ, that is more than a tall order, of course. It is an impossibility. Perhaps there are parts of the Old Testament that furnish us with ample evidence of this prospect, maybe even our own lives, that illustrate this idea that if all we're looking at is a simple if-then statement, boy, we're all in trouble. And so we can't read verse 16 then as if it's some conditional reward uh, for keeping verse 15, uh, following through on this if-then statement statement, for that would then turn the gospel upside down. And besides that, it would mean that actually nobody has the Holy Spirit. For have you kept Christ's commandments? Then you don't have the Spirit, if that's our logic. Rather, after Jesus issues his command, what he gives instead is a promise that makes the command possible. This promise then is the promise of another helper, or we could say another advocate or another comforter. Now I do want to spend just a minute here thinking about this word helper uh, as it is uh, presented here in the ESV. In John's first letter, chapter 2 verse 1, he writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, there's the word, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that word advocate, it's the same word that's being used here and translated, at least in the ESV, as helper. 
So Christ is our advocate before the Father here, and in 1 John 2, clearly in a legal sense, for he is the one who died a substitutionary death in our behalf, and so he pleads there on a legal basis on our behalf, so that when we confess, as we uh, did this morning, our sins before the throne of grace, our Lord lifts up his hands, as it were, to plead his wounds on our behalf as the ground for our justification and the forgiveness of our sins. And so in that sense, Jesus is the is our, is our advocate before the Father. And then here in John's Gospel, he speaks not of the same advocate, but another Another helper, another advocate whom the Father will send to be with the disciples forever. And as we read through the description of this advocate, helper, comforter, however you want to translate it, uh, it's clearly not the legal side uh, being emphasized here. The the work which will develop uh, as Jesus does later on in his farewell discourse is not focused on on any legal aspects of what the Lord, what, what the Holy Spirit does, but rather he is a helper, he is a comforter, he is one who comes alongside the disciples in the physical absence of the first advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus then tells us that this, so, so all that to be said, we're going to use the word helper or comforter throughout because that's the nuance that's the uh, that's the, the the aspect of this word that that really describes how the spirit is promised uh, to us here at least in this part and then we'll flesh it out when we get to um, chapter 16 and so this other comforter here J- Jesus then goes on he explains he's the spirit of truth and he is the exclusive comforter of the disciples. For Jesus says the world cannot receive him. And really how the Holy Spirit is a comforter or a helper is unpacked uh, in the rest of our verses here. Uh, So we'll get to it. But for now, I simply want to emphasize here that there is a great promise being presented here that though Christ is to be physically absent from his disciples, our Father promises to send another helper to be with us forever. That is to say that we are not alone. We are not left to figure things out on our own. Just as the first disciples weren't, neither are we. Rather, we have the spirit of truth. For that reason, just simply the promise alone, we have every reason to put our faith in Christ so that faith might triumph over the fear and trouble that so often creep in when we feel like we are alone. Of course, we're not. We're not alone. For there's a promise of another comforter who has indeed come, uh, come at Pentecost and come individually Uh, into the hearts of all those who have confessed that Jesus is Lord and believed in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Really, the first step for us in casting out worldly fear is to to believe that the promises of God are true, 
and then applicable uh, to us as well. Uh, there is uh, really not much that can undermine our trust than a word that is shaky. But when we have a sure and certain hope in the promises because God, are, God himself is unchangeable, and as the writer to the Hebrews says, that he's got nothing, no one or nothing higher than himself to swear by, he swears by himself, then we have far less reason to fear whatever comes, so long as we know what those promises are and consider them as ours as they're communicated to us in his word. And just the promise alone is a really great start. But if it were just a promise, it would be an empty promise. And so we have to continue on, not just the promise of another comforter, but of course the presence of the other comforter. The second point, as, as Jesus continues, this promise yields to the presence. That's my second point. We continue on in verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So here, in light of this new promise, Jesus reiterates to his disciples that he will not leave them orphaned, alone, abandoned in this world. They will not be without support or comfort once he goes. He says not only that, but he will come to them. In verse 19, then, he again reminds them that his time with them is short. We could, in the language that Jesus has used in this gospel, the 12 hours of daylight here, they are fa fast fading. But then he says that the disciples should anticipate a new dawn. And in that day, as Jesus calls it in verse 20, they will come to know what Jesus has already taught them. I am in my Father. But interestingly, he switches it just a little bit. He expands on the idea from what he had said earlier in his farewell discourse. For instead of then saying, and the Father is in me, this mutual indwelling that we talked about, he says, and you in me, and I in you. And so he begins now to draw his disciples into the intimate communion with the Father through him, the Son. This thought then, it is completed in verse 21 as Jesus now connects uh, all these things together. The love of Christ looks like keeping his commandments and that in turn leads to the manifestation or the revealing or the disclosing or the making known of Christ to that person. And here we have to see a couple different levels of what it means for Jesus uh, to come to his disciples as he promised here. At least at one level, in a very narrow way, this farewell speech spoken first of all to these disciples who were with Jesus from the very beginning, they in fact saw him shortly after his resurrection. Now you and I haven't, uh, but they received in, in, in some measure a vision of him. He came to them physically uh, in, that, in that way, and that uh, could be at least part of it, part of what he's saying here, but we really, there really has to be more than that in Christ's mind than just these post-resurrection appearances. And this is where Judas then, in verse 22, drives us to a conclusion as he voices this surprised question, how is it that you are going to be able to reveal yourself only to us 
and not to the world. Jesus' answer in verses 23 and 24 then helps to make this clear and then kind of gets us to the presence of the Holy Spirit idea. Look specifically at verse 23. Jesus answers Judas, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, Jesus' answer to Judas here, it begins by and large with a repetition of what he has just said. I mean, the, the, he's, not, he's not breaking new ground uh, here, but then he adds a clarification at the end of this verse. Whereas at first he had said, and I will love him and manifest myself to him in verse 21. Now he clarifies and said, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This, as far as I see it, is the fuller sense then of how Jesus manifests himself to those who love him and keep his commandments and only to his disciples and not uh, to the world. Though he is leaving his disciples because his earthly ministry is ending, even necessarily ending, he will not leave them as orphans because he fully intends to come to them again. But that coming will be in the form of the Father and the Son making their home with them and in them. And the only way that that could happen is through the sending of the Spirit who then dwells with us and in us. Here's where the presence of the other comforter, that Spirit of truth, comes in. As the Father sends the Spirit who will be with Christ's disciples forever, and not only with them, but also in them, the Father and the Son come with the Spirit. The abiding presence of the Spirit is the way in which Christ will come to his disciples and reveal himself to them apart from the world. This kind of, to a degree, explains why when you put your faith in Christ, when the Spirit works regeneration in your heart, you can read the Bible, the same words that somebody else who is not a believer reads, and you will read something entirely different. They're the same words. But Jesus is revealing himself to you through the indwelling Spirit as he and the Father Spirit dwelling in you. How, does, how, how is this separation made? It's because there is an inward testimony of the Spirit. Paul says it, that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God. Our adoption comes through the sacrifice of Christ as we are adopted into the family of the Father. These are all different ways of speaking about the manifestation of Christ uh, to us. The possession that we have as believers that the world cannot know and does not have. That is at least at least a part of the answer that Jesus gives to Judas here. The presence of the Spirit is how you know me. And the world gropes in the dark about me. 
That's an extraordinary idea. If you spend some time meditating on it. And it really undergirds all the other reasons for why it is possible for our hearts not to be troubled by the physical absence of Christ. I mean, in a weaker moment, we may all think, well, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were here giving this sermon and not Pastor Chris? (laughs) Of course, I would prefer that. (laughs) But in some respects, the answer is no. And and, and Jesus is going to say he has to go because the Spirit has to come, and we are in a better place because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and with us. We are not, even though Christ is physically absent from us now, we are not in a worse place. Through our belief in him, we have his spirit dwelling in us, and therefore he is with us, along with the Father. We are not orphaned, even now, in this present evil age. We are rather united to Christ through the spirit of truth. And it's that presence of the Holy Spirit, that promised Holy Spirit, that then allows us to put our faith over the fear, the many fears that we might have in this world, if that is all that we had. You're not alone, for you have the presence of Christ by his Spirit. One morning this week, Sarah was getting Sammy out of his crib, and as that process was happening, some disembodied voices suddenly sounded out in the room, and they sounded awfully a lot like siblings, Sammy's siblings. But how in the world, since they weren't there, could their voices be in the room? Well, I'm sure poor Sammy's mind was blown to realize that the monitor that's been watching him has a two-way radio function on it, because we've, we've never used it. <laughs> We're only a observe and report kind of monitor situation here. But it turns out our kids know how to use that. (laughs) So that was also interesting. So Sammy was a bit startled. Looking around, because he knows those voices. Familiar to him. They weren't physically present in the room. But they were clearly present with him. Because they knew what he was doing. They could interact with him. They could hear him and respond to him, even if he didn't have quite the same, uh, it was w- what we might say it was an asymmetrical relationship, right? They had all the power, <laughs> and they were using it delightfully for them, and he was there. But here's the thing. The abiding virtual presence of your siblings might be unsettling. Could be. Could be settling. It could be unsettling, but it, it does begin to picture just a, just a little bit, a fleeting glimpse of the greatness of God when we apply this analogically to how God is present with us with the Spirit. For if Samuel were an optimist, he would take comfort in this new knowledge that he just acquired this week, that his siblings 
in the right circumstances, can see, hear, and talk to him, even when it appears that he has been abandoned, orphaned, you might say, to his crib (laughs) by his parents. Now, God as a spirit does not have body like man. The second person of the Trinity has taken on human nature, is permanently united to a body, but he is physically located elsewhere than here. But he has sent his spirit, who is invisible. We cannot see the spirit. We cannot perceive with our visible senses the Holy Spirit, and yet we know that God's promises are true. And as the wind blows, we see its effects, so we know that the spirit is working as we are sanctified as we are assured, as we feel increase in joy, growth in grace, stronger bonds in the community of faith, you name it, the evidences of the Spirit working. How much more than this simple illustration can we take comfort in knowing that Christ's physical absence is no absence at all because he and the Father are spiritually present with us through the abiding presence of their spirit? To be sure, when we are enmeshed with sin, it can be a terrifying thought that the spirit is with us. But... That, I think, is just your conscience working. It's not something to squash. For as, as John said when he was introducing the Isaiah passage, the last word from God is not judgment, but an offer of salvation, grace, and mercy, and hope. And so if you do, if this is, this, oh, if this is sudden, it's new, new knowledge for you, suddenly to consider that the Spirit is abiding now with us, and if that is terrifying to you, know that also the gospel declares to us that there is grace and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you may turn to Him, lay your burden of sin at the cross, and find that the abiding spiritual presence is not a terror, but a joy. A joy. Let your conscience work. And then, know that this teaching of our Lord is meant to comfort those who have placed their faith in Him. The worldly fears that we face every day would not overwhelm us, but rather we would believe in God, believe in Jesus also. Believe that by the Spirit they are abiding with us. We are not alone. God is with us by His Spirit. Now, the final part of our text here it draws out important, uh, an important implication of the presence of this other Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And it's this, it's the power of the other Comforter. If we continue on in verses uh, 25 and 26... <coughs> and Jesus continues, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So part of what the Holy Spirit will do as he dwells with and in the disciples is to teach and remind them of Jesus' words and works. Say it another way, we could say that the Holy Spirit continues Christ's ministry. In fact, when we get to John 16, we'll see even more so how how that gets developed in this farewell discourse. Uh, and perhaps I'm, I'm pointing out the obvious here, but we should recognize that the abiding presence of the Spirit is not a passive presence. It's rather a very active one in and with the followers of Christ. Now there's a specific way in which this promise of the power of the Holy Spirit to teach and bring to remembrance the words of Christ applies to the original disciples hearing this for the first time time because many of them indeed uh, many of them will be will be composing the new testament by the power of the spirit and all of them will be involved in the expansion of the gospel from jerusalem to judea and samaria to the ends of the earth in in the 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 first generation after the earthly ministry of christ and yet the promise is still applicable to us as well for the powerful presence of the holy spirit applies generally to all believers as the spirit continues to teach Christ's disciples today, besides the fact that the Great Commission isn't over. And so the Spirit continues uh, to work and to teach and to lead. And it's really out of the power of the Holy Spirit then, really framing the rest of what Jesus says here in this paragraph, that everything comes full circle in verses 27 and 28. Then Jesus, uh, it seems like he's shifting, but really he's, he's just developing uh, his thought here. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you, ha- you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You see, faith triumphs over fear. Because as, Christ, as the Spirit abides with us, as Christ abides with us through his Spirit, he leaves his peace with us. His peace is appropriated by faith in him and empowered uh, by his Spirit, advanced even uh, by the indwelling Spirit as he teaches us and leads us in all truth. And all of this, of course, is possible precisely because Jesus departs. This is the shift in the redemptive historical uh, movement of God's plan of redemption. In the end, the earthly ministry has to end because Christ must be exalted and the Spirit must then be sent forth. Christ must be declared King of Kings. He must win that victory over death that is prophesied in Isaiah 25 and then as as, uh, Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 15, he must be the one prophesied in Psalm 110, who will have all of his enemies put under his footstool, but he must go the path of suffering in order to get to the path of glory. He must depart by way of the cross that he is then exalted to send his spirit to us. Now, from the perspective of the disciples, of course, none of this has happened yet. They're anticipating this. We have realized a good portion of it ourselves uh, here. Uh, and from their perspective then, 
they still they still have some some hard parts to get through. So this spe- this part of the speech somewhat ends on a, on a sad note in verses twenty nine through thirty one. As Jesus acknowledges the impending darkness that is to come as the ruler of this world, the devil, comes to try to silence the Son of God. And yet he still affirms his own sovereignty over Satan, for he says he has no claim on me. While also affirming, Jesus affirming his submission to the Father's will, but I do as the Father has commanded me. Now, all of this for the purpose of bringing glory to the Father and salvation to those who believe in Christ. Kind of wrapping all these things together, then the realization of the promise of the powerful presence of the Spirit, that other comforter that we have now. It is in the future for these disciples. It is something that we are experiencing presently now, but we are all with those disciples, all awaiting the final uh, fulfillment of these words of our Lord. But even with that, in time, Jesus must still take a few more steps towards the cross, and so he ends this portion of his speech, rise, let us go from here. In the end, this fifth reason that Jesus gives for faith triumphing over uh, fear is that as the Spirit actively works with us, there is a, a, a conjunction of the Spirit teaching us and Christ's peace abiding with us. A, a, a fullness, a wholeness, not, a, not just a merely a lack of conflict, but a, a, an overflowing sense of, of contentedness and well-being, a peace that is not shakable, that is the goal, the end, the destination for the journey that we are on now and the Spirit is guiding us there as we come to know more and more Christ. And in fact, even as that happens, we become more like Christ. And as that happens, we participate more in Christ's peace that he leaves with us and therefore uh, have the perspective that enables us to let faith triumph over fear. Lots of different ways that we can apply this specifically. Personally, I want you to think about what are those things that trouble you at night? What keeps you awake at night? And then think this. How is it that the Spirit of Christ abiding in me and with me can calm my nerves, settle my mind, that I might peacefully sleep knowing that the Spirit is with me through the night? Let that be just a sliver of the peace that Christ leaves with you. Confidence that he is still with you. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for this word and this uh, great truth, not only that you have promised, but you have poured forth your spirit, and in the power of your spirit, among other things, you have uh, 
you have been leading us into all truth, uh, that the Spirit guides us and comforts us as he uh, speaks to us the words of Christ and leaves with us the peace of Christ. Uh, May we have faith. Uh, Would you help us in our unbelief? Strengthen us uh, in our minds and our hearts and our hands uh, to live for and to love you uh, more in light of the knowledge that you have presented to us uh, through your word this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.